Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Wednesday, May 31st, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today, Ukraine is pushing for a roadmap to NATO membership. So a Ukrainian official this week was pushing for a stronger commitment from NATO during the annual GlobeSec Forum in Bratislava, Slovakia. So this is Olha Stefanishina. She is Ukraine's Deputy Prime Minister for European Integration. And she was saying that Ukraine wants NATO to give Kiev a roadmap toward membership at the upcoming summit in Vilnius, Lithuania this July. So this is going to be a pretty big summit, and there's been a lot of talk of this. Um, and, the, you know, this is a pretty some pretty strong words here from a Ukrainian official about this issue. So Stefanishina said, quote, Vilnius should give a clear signal that politically Ukraine is invited to join NATO. We need a unified commitment of all member states, end quote. So Ukraine was first promised that it would eventually become a NATO member back in 2008, and they promised that despite warnings from the U.S. ambassador to Russia at the time, who was William Burns, who was now the head of the CIA, at the time he said in a cable to Condoleezza Rice that Ukrainian entry into the alliance, into the NATO alliance, was the brightest of all red lines for Moscow, but Kiev was still given the promise uh, but they have not been given, you know, a timeline or a real roadmap on when they can actually join the alliance. And there is an understanding among NATO members that Ukraine cannot join the alliance while it's actively engaged in a war with Russia. At the Vilnius summit, the alliance is expected to announce new forms of support with a focus on making Ukraine's military more interoperable with NATO. And we've also seen these reports that they're thinking about an Israel model, which, you know, would not include an Article 5 style, you know, mutual defense guarantee, but it, you know, would mean lots of military aid. Uh, but these commitments are not good enough for Kiev. They want uh, more of a concrete, uh, you know, uh, promise when it comes to their future membership. So Stefanishina, she said that being stuck in the same place that Ukraine is now in respect to NATO membership would be totally unacceptable. And some European officials who attended this summit, uh, this GlobeSec summit, seemed to agree with what she had to say. Estonia's defense minister said, quote, what we have to push in Vilnius is that there has to be a clear understanding of what are the next steps for Ukraine, end quote. So the Czech Republic's foreign minister also expressed support for giving Ukraine some sort of guarantee like this, saying that his wish list for the upcoming NATO summit includes Sweden joining the alliance, which is something the U.S. is really pushing Turkey to agree to now, now that the elections are over and Erdogan won. Uh, and But this Czech official also wants Ukraine to be invited, formally invited to join the alliance. But he did acknowledge that it's a complicated matter. And according to recent media reports, the U.S. is hesitant to give Ukraine any kind of promise like this. 
as are the Western European countries, you know, Germany and France. Uh, but NATO foreign ministers are actually meeting in Oslo on Wednesday and Thursday this week. And during those meetings, they are expected to debate this issue. So this is something that they they want to work out, you know, what they're going to do at this summit in, in Vilnius in July beforehand. So th- that's going to be, uh, you know, a big part of the conversation when they meet this week. And whatever the NATO countries decide, basically, we know that they're going to announce some sort of new future support for Ukraine. And, you know, all this is going to do is prolong the war, as we know that one of Russia's main motivations for invading Ukraine was its alignment with NATO. And Russia's primary demand during those short-lived negotiations that took place in the early days of the conflict, their primary demand was Ukrainian neutrality. And recently they've, they've said that, you know, that it's neutrality. It's all about Ukraine's neutrality. So big promises from NATO uh, is not going to help bring this war to an end. Uh, all right. So the next one here, a drone swarm hits Moscow in the largest attack on the city of the war. So this was really the big news on Tuesday. Russian authorities said that eight Ukrainian drones targeted civilian areas of Moscow, marking the largest attack on the capital city since Russia launched its invasion of Ukraine last year. Moscow's mayor said that the drones only caused insignificant damage to residential buildings and that two people were treated for minor injuries but did not need hospitalization. The Russian defense ministry said that five of the drones were shot down and three were downed using electronic warfare capabilities. Russian President Vladimir Putin said that the drone attack was an attempt by Ukraine to intimidate Russian civilians. The attack came as Russia had stepped up its bombardment of Ukraine. Uh, Ukrainian covert attacks have really increased inside Russia in recent months. We've seen a lot of these. Kiev does not officially take credit for the operations, but Ukrainian officials have strongly hinted at their involvement. And this is my co- Kylo Poroyak. He is an aide to Zelensky. He said, quote, of course, we are pleased to watch and predict an increase in the number of attacks. But of course, we have nothing directly to do with this, end quote. So it was interesting. Last week, the New York Times reported that U.S. officials believe, you know, either one of Ukraine's military or intelligence services was behind the drone attack that targeted the Kremlin uh, in early May and other covert attacks inside Russia. The report said that this is basically the U.S. view, apparently, is that they don't think Zelensky is signing off on each covert action. They suspect that, you know, he gave kind of a general okay to this covert campaign. Um, But we all we also do know from some of those discord leaks that Zelensky was proposing major attacks inside Russia. Uh, Ukrainian attacks on Russian territory, of course, risk a major escalation of the war, especially if Russia thinks that the operations are supported by the U.S. and NATO. So responding to the news of Tuesday's drone attack, the White House said that it does not support Ukrainian operations inside Russia. Uh, However, you know, they they do support Ukrainian attacks on Crimea, which Russia absorbed in 2014. And of course, uh, you know, Ukrainian attacks on Crimea in the eyes of Moscow would be just as provocative. Uh, But they are trying to at least distance themselves from this attack in Moscow and other attacks inside, I guess what you call uh, mainland Russia. Um, Although there was the raid in Belgorod where those uh, groups used 
American armored vehicles uh, in the, the attack. Um, so over in the UK, uh, the British Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly, he was asked about this attack and he you know, didn't really try to distance the UK from these sorts of operations and said that, you know, Ukraine has the right to hit targets inside Russia. He didn't say anything about, oh, but they shouldn't use British provided, provided weapons. Uh, he said, quote, Ukraine does have the legitimate right to defend itself. It has the legitimate right to do so within its own borders, of course, but it also does have the right to project force beyond its borders to undermine Russia's ability to project force into Ukraine itself, end quote. Um, so, you know, it seems like we're just going to see more and more of these types of attacks inside Russia. All right, the next one here, this is from Kyle Anzalone over at the Libertarian Institute. Ukraine calls for a massive de demilitarized zone inside of Russia. So this shows, you know, kind of the demands that Ukraine are making right now are just completely unrealistic. So as a condition for ending the war, this is Podolyak again, an aide to Zelensky. He's demanding that Russia remove its military forces along its border with Ukraine. Kiev hopes the area within Moscow's borders will be manned by international forces. So he wants a 100 to 120 kilometer demilitarized zone within Russia. Uh, so again, it's just a completely unrealistic demand. And we know that Ukrainian officials are saying, you know, Russia must withdraw from all the territory it's captured, including Crimea, for peace talks to even happen. They want war crimes, tribunals before talks can happen. And now they're calling for this demilitarized zone. So I think this is a sign that, you know, despite there are some efforts by China and other neutral countries, you know, to push for peace talks. But, you know, I think this is a sign that as long as Ukraine keeps getting the support from NATO, you know, they're not going to uh, back down on any of their demands. All right. Uh, the next one here, NATO members mull secret plans for responding to Russia attacks. So this is over at Responsible Statecraft, and I covered this recently. Just thought this was a good article, so we put it up here. And it's about that for the first time since the Cold War, NATO has drawn up war plans for Russia, how to respond to a Russian attack. And they're expected to approve these during, again, that Vilnius summit uh, in July. And, you know, this is a huge document that they're going to be approving. And again, it just shows how they're preparing for war with Russia, um, you know, not just supporting a proxy war they're drawing up plans for a direct war uh, which is not a good sign all right the next one here taiwan receives free stingers from the u.s so taiwanese media has reported that taiwan received delivery of raytheon made stinger anti-aircraft missiles from the u.s as part of a 500 million dollar package of free military aid that washington has been preparing for taipei so according to Taipei Times, the Stingers arrived in a Boeing 747 on Thursday night. Uh, so far, I haven't seen either the U.S. or the Taiwanese governments confirm these reports from Taiwanese media. But both sides did say recently that the $500 million in weapons would be sent soon. And I'm not sure exactly how many Stinger missiles or, or that they sent over there. Uh, and how much of that 500 million is covered by this? We might get more detail on this soon. But this 500 million dollars in free weapons that the U.S. has been planning to send, and these stingers are being pulled from U.S. military stockpiles using the Presidential Drawdown Authority, 
which is the primary way that the Biden administration has been arming Ukraine. So as you see, this is their view on arming Taiwan now, is that it's similar to Ukraine and they have to ship these weapons as quick as possible. And the 2023 National Defense Authorization Act you uh, included $1 billion in this presidential drawdown for Taiwan. Again, that's $1 billion worth of military equipment that the U.S. can send directly to Taiwan from their military stockpiles. And this military aid for Taiwan is unprecedented. The U.S. has sold weapons to Taiwan since, severing, since severing relations with Taipei in 1979 to open up with China, but the U.S. has not provided arms free of charge. So the new support angers China as it views such steps as an affront to, the, to Washington's one China policy. And China's military, the People's Liberation Army, recently really warned strongly against these steps, uh, saying that it was absolutely intolerable and said that increasing U.S. support for Taiwan has shaken the foundation of China-U.S. relations. Uh, the other thing that they were responding to there was the reports that the U.S. has sent about 200 troops to Taiwan to assist in training. Uh, all right, so the next one here, the U.S. accuses its Chinese jet of an unprofessional intercept over the South China Sea. So U.S. Indo-Pacific Command on Tuesday claimed that a Chinese fighter jet conducted an unprofessional intercept of a U.S. spy plane over the South China Sea which is an area where the U.S. has increased its military presence in recent years. The command said that the incident occurred on May 26th and that a Chinese J-16 jet flew directly in front of a U.S. RC-135 reconnaissance aircraft, forcing the U.S. plane to fly through its wake turbulence. The re uh, and the command released a video that they said showed this encounter. It's not clear where this happened if, you know, because sometimes U.S. biplanes fly pretty close to China's coast. And China also claims, uh, you know, these islands in the South China Sea, which they consider their territory. So it's not clear exactly where this happened. Um, but the heavy U.S. military presence in the region raises the risk of an accident between the two militaries, which could spiral into a full-blown conflict as U.S.-China relations are at their lowest point in decades. And, you know, this has happened before. Back in 2001, the Hainan, uh, Hainan Island incident, when a U.S. spy plane collided with a Chinese plane and it killed the Chinese pilot, the American pilot landed in uh, Hainan Island, and it was a big, uh, you know, diplomatic crisis. But at the time, relations were much more cordial. I can't imagine, you know, what would happen if something like that happened right now. So the encounter over the South China Sea, it comes amid a lack of communication between high-level U.S. and Chinese military officials. Beijing has declined to hold a meeting between Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and his Chinese counterpart, Li Shangfu, because the U.S. refuses to lift sanctions that were imposed on Li uh, back in 2018 before he was the defense minister. So the U.S. has really stepped up its military activity in the South China Sea in recent years to challenge China's claims to the waters, and it's also just part of the U.S.'s overall strategy against China. According to the South China Sea Probing Initiative, which is a Beijing-based think tank, the U.S. conducted about 1,000 surveillance flights over the South China Sea in 2022. So the U.S., again, they're, I don't know if people realize how active the U.S. military is over this sea. 
Um, all right, the next one here, the U.S. kicks Kosovo out of military drills. So the U.S. has actually taken action against Kosovo, which is, this is very surprising. So the U.S. ambassador to Kosovo announced on Tuesday that Washington was kicking Pristina out of the U.S.-led Defender Europe military exercises over its treatment of the ethnic Serb population of northern Kosovo. So this move was a punishment for Kosovo trying to forcibly install ethnic Albanian mayors in three Serb-majority towns. The mayors won office in elections that were boycotted by the Serbs. They, you know, None of them voted. And they, they've never accepted Kosovo's independence from Serbia, which was formally declared in 2008. When Kosovo police used force against Serb protesters on May 26th, Secretary of State Antony Blinken slammed the move and blamed Kosovo for the tensions, which, again, you know, I was talking about this yesterday, but it's a very rare move, very surprising to see, you know, because the U.S. is one of the staunchest supporters of Kosovo's independence. Blinken said that Kosovo's actions will have consequences for the U.S.'s bilateral relations. So Hovenier, uh, this is Jeffrey Hovenier. He's the U.S. ambassador to Kosovo. He said that suspending Kosovo from the Defender Europe exercises was one consequence, and he signaled that other action might be taken. Uh, he said that they've asked Kosovo to take steps toward reducing tensions in the north, and they haven't responded to those requests, so the U.S. is analyzing what further actions they might take. The U.S. wants Kosovo's government not to insist that the mayors work from the municipal buildings that have been blocked by protesters, so saying that the mayors don't need to get into these buildings, so they don't need to, you know, uh, attack the protesters, and they want Kosovo police to withdraw from the buildings in the three northern towns. So they want Kosovo to totally back off, which again, it's very interesting. And you know, he said Hovenier said that this has hurt uh, U.S. and EU efforts to broker a normalization deal between Serbia and Kosovo. Um, so just very interesting. And NATO, you know, at the same time, while well, you have the U S saying this, NATO is sending more troops to Kosovo, which is definitely concerning in response to the, uh, K four, which is Kosovo force, the, the NATO presence there that's been there since the 99 bombing campaign. Um, they're sending 700 more troops into Kosovo. So, so there's about 3,800, uh, if I have that number, right. NATO troops in Kosovo, so it's going to bring the number up to around 4,500. Um, so, you know, who knows what that could turn into. And so um, after those clashes yesterday that we saw between the NATO troops and the Serb protesters, 30 members of NATO's Kosovo force were reported injured and 52 Serb protesters were reported injured as well. Um, and, you know, NATO called it an unprovoked attack by the protesters, but they used tear gas. They, you know, they were moving to clear them from the area so that, that you know, it wasn't unprovoked. He's starting to hear that word a lot from uh, NATO countries, unprovoked. Um, all right. So the next one here, U.S. hikes sanctions on Syria after it rejoins the Arab League. So the U.S. on Tuesday imposed new sanctions on Syria for the first time since the country was brought back into the Arab League as part of a normalization push between Damascus and regional governments. According to the Treasury Department, the U.S. sanctioned two Syrian 
money service businesses that are accused of helping the government of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad maintain access to the global financial system. The companies are also accused of aiding Hezbollah and Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. The businesses were targeted using the Caesar Act, a law that the U.S. has used to impose sanctions on Syria that are specifically designed to prevent the country's reconstruction. The House voted overwhelmingly uh, to maintain Caesar Act sanctions on Syria following a devastating earthquake that killed thousands of Syrians in February. So it shows how cruel this policy is. And hawks in Congress are infuriated by Syria's readmission into the Arab League. Uh, A bipartisan group of lawmakers in the House introduced a piece of legislation that aims to combat Syria's normalization in the region by expanding sanctions. And because they are designed to prevent Syria's reconstruction, U.S. sanctions on the country have had a devastating impact on the civilian population. On top of the economic campaign, the U.S. continues to occupy eastern Syria and it controls most of the country's oil reserves. Um, So the next one, I actually skipped this one. Uh, This is also over in the Balkans. The U.S. flies bombers over Bosnia amid secession threats. So the U.S. uh, flew two B-1B bombers over over Bosnia and Herzegovina on Tuesday in a show of force meant as a warning to Milorad Dodik, who's the leader of the semi-autonomous Serb Republic within Bosnia, known as Republika Srpska. So if you're not familiar with the Balkans, you know, there's a lot of these situations uh, with the uh, ethnic groups, uh, you know, having issues and, and living in separate areas and in Bosnia-Herzegovina, it's broken up basically into two sort of autonomous areas, including this, the Serb one, Republika Srpska, and then the Federation of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Uh, but they are they fall under one state. And their leader, uh, the Serb leader, has been threatening to secede or declare independence. Um, right now, I think there's been other disputes, but this is over a property law that you know he wants for his own area. Uh, that's different than a property law in the rest of uh, the country. So the U.S., what does the U.S. do? They fly a bomber over there, two bombers, which, I mean, just goes to show, well, how is this any of the United States' business? I mean, the U.S. intervened in Bosnia in the 90s, but it's just so ridiculous. I don't know. But the U.S. ambassador to Bosnia, Michael Murphy, said that the bomber flights were a demonstration of a rock-solid commitment to the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Bosnia-Herzegovina. So while flying over the country, the B-1B bombers also participated in exercises that involved Bosnia's military and U.S. special operations forces. Murphy said that the U.S. is committed to its relationship with Bosnia's armed forces in the face of an acute threat from malign actors outside. And that sounds like it's a reference to Russia. Dodik is pro-Russia. He was recently in Moscow. So they're trying to Seems like they're trying to blame what he's saying, what he's doing on Russia. But I don't think, you know, Russia has any interest in really stoking things up in in Bosnia right now. Uh, It just seems like nonsense. Um, And and he said that the U.S., so Dodik, the Serb leader in, in Bosnia, said that the U.S. was disrespecting the country's sovereignty by flying these bombers. And now this could also potentially be a show of force. Uh, you know, they might be trying to kill two birds with one stone here. 
because although they're blaming Kosovo for the tensions in, in Kosovo, Serbia has also, you know, put its troops on high alert, saying that they're standing by to intervene if, if things get out of control in Kosovo. So this also might be the U.S. kind of flexing its muscles at Serbia. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, just shows how involved the U.S. is in this part of the world. I mean, the U.S. is involved everywhere, but it's just very strange. Uh, but that's it for the news. Go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Medea Benjamin and Nicholas J.S. Davies. When will the U.S. join the global call to end the Ukraine war? We have one from Ted Snyder. Is the U.S. losing control of Ukraine? One from Lori Calhoun. Turn off. Do not automate the killing machine. One from Carolyn Einsberg. 100 years of Henry Kissinger. He just had his 100th birthday. And one from Judd Legum, there is always more money for defense contractors. Um, that is it for me for today. Um, you could always support us at antiwar.com slash donate. Like and subscribe to the show on YouTube. Share it around. Tell your friends. I'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.